This week, we talk about Rick's latest milestone, how to hire a developer, and more. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. So, Rick, I hear something has changed about your life recently. Where did you hear that? It was on the New York Times. They said something about why they were like, why was Rick not uh, in the last two podcast episodes? Because that's pop culture news. Uh, so how's it going? Uh, it's great. So um, my baby, my first child was born. Oh, I mean, I forget his birthday already. Uh, <laughs> March 21st. So he's a 321-21 baby, uh, which is kind of cool. That's nice. Uh, easy to remember. But but it was great. I mean, everything went well. Um, right on time. No major surprises. And, uh, you know, I had planned a two-week paternity but uh, I can already tell that it's not going to happen. So I, I'm looking at four weeks now, and I'll probably extend that to five or six weeks. But I am working a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe like I'm good for maybe two to three hours of productive work a day um, if I slept well the night before, which last night was not a good night. So this is going to be an unproductive podcast, but hopefully <laughs> I can fake it. Uh, All right. Do, do we need to reschedule this? No, we don't. We don't We're need to reschedule good. it. I'm going to have to power through some stuff, man. It's like yeah, I, I have instant respect for all the past people I've worked with who've had kids. Like it's, it's, it's definitely a, I don't want to say sobering because that implies that it's bad, but like it's, it's definitely an eye opening experience. Mm -hmm. So you've got two to three hours a day on a good day. Is that customer service or like, like are you moving things forward at all or just kind of like keeping, keeping treading water and keeping your head above water here? Well, I, what happened, I don't know if we covered this in the podcast, but the American Rescue Plan, which Biden signed into law, we did cover this, I believe, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, before I left, but that was signed in. So that's, I mean, that's, I've had to reach out to all the clients. So it's sort of like when you send an email, you get an email back. So yeah. I'm in this cu- customer service um, volley right now around the American Rescue Plan that uh, is pretty much taking up all, all the time. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I mean, that it's, it's great to, have a business like that where um, it, it there. I'm not sure there was any part of less annoying CRM where I could have gotten away with two hours a day of work and had it be okay. How so? Um, in the early days, I, I guess part of it is like you are selling a product that y- is not a startup product. Like people are getting insurance that works. Whereas in, when I was at your stage, like my product sucked and was unacceptable. I probably, you're probably right. I could have gotten away with it, but like it, I would have, I don't know. I wasn't I could, sure if you were going to say, cause I had a co-founder and like there were expectations there. Or, oh no, not that. I, just, just like customer expectations really. And when you were at my stage, so this is like, you're the first year, how many users roughly did you have? And what was your revenue? Um, at the one year anniversary mark. Well, it's not quite a year. Like for within the, let's call it, uh, within yeah, it's called a year of product launch. Okay, so a year after product launch, we were at five thousand dollars ARR. That's great. Well, you're you're better, right? Well, <laughs> you're beating us. <laughs> sure, but uh, yeah, I guess so. But but not. I mean, if we looked at probably gross margin, we'd probably be pretty close because yours is a much higher margin business, whereas I've got some significant service costs. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Our, we're, we're lower margin than a normal software product is, but yeah. We, and we were at a thousand half six months in. So we had like a very, like, I'm just going to go month by month. It went zero, zero, 500, 500, a thousand back down to 720, back up to a thousand. So the first several months, our revenue was pretty rough, but then near that, the end of the first that ARR year, or off, that's ARR. Uh, yeah, man, you're going to kill people trying to follow that. Okay, fine. MRR $0 up to 470 at the end of the first year. Okay. Okay. So I'm doing pretty well. And yeah. Two, uh, yeah. Oh well, I, we were doing poorly. I wouldn't. I, no one should compare themselves to us because this was 2010. Dude, like, <laughs> listen, I'm going to be comparing myself until I'm three million dollars to you. So <laughs> and when I get to three million dollars ARR, then you know we can we can compare notes. But yeah, um, until then, I look up to you. All right. Well, uh, so so so, uh, but but I guess that kind of leads me into my next update, which is um, March was a record month revenue wise for us. We surpassed. 2k in MRR, um, which feels really good. Um, and, uh, it's happening like basically we're, I, I, we, we have two, three sources of revenue. One, uh, two, two are leg up health and that is health insurance revenue. But one thing that's been unexpected is I think I mentioned this in the past, but a lot of people are picking dental plans. And so I took some time before I went on paternity to get appointed with all the dent- dental companies that are on the exchange. And they they retro- they basically didn't retroactively, but they gave me in leg up health credit for all the people we had enrolled mm-hmm. already. So now there's additional sort of revenue per customer coming from those dental That's awesome. cross sells or whatever, upsells. Um and and then you know I, I I'm this close to getting my second billing, uh, billing billable customer for like at benefits right now I've got two customers one's paying one's not just because I can't get uh, credit card information but I think I'm gonna get credit card information this month <laughs> nice they've promised if you're, and if you're listening you know who you are <laughs> isn't that so weird when you're like maybe this person we're talking about is listening uh, well that's awesome two thousand dollars a month is huge. Yeah, and now that probably won't go through a huge growth like yours did um, until maybe Q4 this year. But right, um, but hopefully I can multiple, you know, grow that by a multiple by this time next year. Yeah, awesome. Is it growing at all on its own? Like, if if you're just answering emails from current customers and stuff, like, are you getting any new revenue, or is it pretty much on hold until you get back to it? I'll probably add three more clients this month. Um, and then I think once I get leg up benefits done, uh, which is, I thought I'd be working on it right now, but that's not going to happen for a little <laughs> bit. Um, I, I, I do think that that will add some customers mid year. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, I, I, I guess, uh, we'll see what happens, but I, I bet it goes to three or three K maybe four K MRR going into open enrollment. So maybe it'll double. I mean, yeah, to to double. I realize in the early days to double doesn't mean as much as it does later, but to double during the slow part of the year in a half year would be uh, and a seasonal business would be really great. Yeah, it would be great. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah. So I guess maybe that's my maybe that's my high level goal is maybe before open enrollment I hit four k. Yeah, very maybe, cool. Let's not call it a goal. Let's call it a a wish. Yeah, a you'll be you'll be happy if it happens. Yeah. Cool. Um. So for me, I told you I was. That one of our developers uh, said she was leaving somewhat recently. Her last day was last Friday. So we're kind of debating do we go try to replace her right away or not? Um, and 
Something I didn't appreciate early on is just how time consuming it is to hire a developer, like or to hire anyone. We obviously have the money because like we were paying her and now we're not paying her, so we could pay someone else. But the cost of finding the right person, doing all the interviews and then onboarding and all that, we're kind of trying to decide do we take that on right now or not? Mm, so where are you leading? Um, I think I'm gonna do the basically see is there a really quick, easy way to find someone who's pretty good? Um, that doesn't involve going through like, let let me explain how we've done it in the past. In the past, it's been like, we're going to do this huge recruiting campaign all at once thing. And like, we are going to hire someone at the end of it. So we post on a bunch of job boards, like university career center websites, all that. We get a hundred applicants or whatever. We interview 25 of them and then do the second round interview with 10 of them and then give one an offer. Uh, And then everyone we've hired in the past has been entry level. So there's like six to 12 months ramping them up and getting them to the point where they're ready. Uh, We're going to look and see, could we just A, hire someone who's already somewhat experienced? I don't know how experienced, but enough that they don't have that on-ramp. And then maybe take this approach of like, rather than we're going to do it all at once, what would happen if we just said, well... I'll reach out to a few people and maybe the right person will come in. And if not, I'll reach out to a few more people and the right person will come in. So we're not like dealing with a hundred applicants at once, but I see downsides to this too. Oh, I, I kind of like that approach. I kind of like the approach of networking to hire and then always have kind of having an open spot for someone. If you find the right person versus mm-hmm. running a recruiting process, because man, that lets you really get to know someone. And then it, it happened sort of not having happened for all the right reasons um, ha- happen, meaning them join the company. Right. Um, and stars just sort of align, but you have to be willing to network in order to make that work. So if you're not willing to put in the time, I think the people who are really good at that, first of all, just take a step back. I think the greatest cultures in the world are built on that. The companies that attract the best talent have this taking people to lunch habit um, that, you know, that maybe they don't join right away. And they're never really, those types of people are never really looking for a job. But the minute the right job opens, it's like, hey, do you want this? We've already done all the the courting, just take the job. Yeah. Um, And, and, but that takes a lot of effort, I think. Um, Like the CEOs who I know that are really good at this, this, they look at this as their 50%, 60% of their job. Right. It's interesting you say this because this idea came from, uh, you know, I follow Jason Lemkin from Saster, and he says this is how you hire like a VP or above is like, you don't, you know, you don't post a job listing for the VP engineering. He, he's, I'm going to misquote him, but it's something like have one call per week or one coffee per week with a new person every week forever. And then over time, you'll just find the right people. And I don't think he was necessarily giving this advice for how do you find a regular software engineer, but I was kind of like, well, why couldn't you do that for this type of job? Yeah. Or any position. Yeah. Now the, the thing that's scary about it is that the, the nice thing about saying we got 100 applicants all at once is you can kind of say, well, probably there's like a bell curve and some people are on the really good side and some people aren't. But you can kind of compare them relatively and say, if we get one of the best that applied, that's good enough. If you only talk to one person, what's good enough? Like, I don't have anything to compare it against. And so there's going to be this like kind of FOMO feeling, I think. Where it's like, well, I liked them and they did OK, but I, I have nothing to compare it to. Mm. Yeah. Gosh, I just, the thing that uh, this is not necessarily responding to your thoughts, more of a separate thought, but mm-hmm. I, the thing that I really like about this is I always, the best people aren't looking for jobs. 
Yeah. And so you're much more likely to get a better candidate, the best candidate through this type of process than you are through posting a job online and, you know, you know, kind of relying on your internal training and processes to work. Well, and I think too many of us have seen how big companies recruit and like that we've modeled in our heads. That's how, how you hire someone. Because if you're, yeah, if you're a big company, you're like, well, we're hiring 50 people a month. You can't do this for all of those jobs. So you have to post these listings and stuff. For the last job we hired for, we just went on LinkedIn and, you know, you can buy these like paid tiers where you get these in messages. And I think we, it was like a hundred bucks a month and we got 30 in messages, meaning you can like cold email someone and they'll actually see it instead of it getting filtered out. And like 30 is maybe enough. Or maybe it takes two or three months and, you you know, 60, 90. But like we did this and got a bunch of really great applicants. We just handpicked who, who seems interested. We reached out to them and we, we started talking. Yeah. And I feel like there's probably even a better way to f- identify people to take, to, to take on a date because that's really what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably like one of the best questions I've ever heard someone say for this purpose is if, if you know someone at another company that you would, you think of like all the people you know and who are the, some of the people in St. Louis that you would like to work with one, someday, you call them and you say, give me your top 10 people you'd like to work with someday. Yeah. And you, and you do that over and over again to every person you meet. And then eventually you, you kind of, it's kind of like the Cutco, like referral, like, <laughs> yeah, MLM. You know, who, yeah. Who do you know in your network who might be in, in, the, in the market for some knives? So I like that a lot. Here's, and I, I'm going to put some more thought into that, but I kind of already thought about working my personal network. The problem is my whole network is remote. Like, this is an in person job. I mean, not right now because the office is closed, but. We, we want to hire someone who either is or will move to St. Louis. I don't have a network in St. Louis. Like my people are on Twitter and online. So you're going to have to start, you're going to have to go find your initial few people that you think are excellent. And most of them are going to be interested in a job. That it's Once you get that ball rolling, you're asking those people locally, who are the 10 people that I don't yeah, know I got that you. you know. I got you. And it sort of, it, it creates this viral-ish uh, referral system yeah. for local networking where that you don't have sense. to go to these, you're, you're getting introductions. You're not going, you know, to chamber of commerce events, right. Or whatever you would go to. And that makes sense. Less. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put some thought into that. Having said that though, like just cold outreach on LinkedIn in my experience, now it wasn't for a developer position. It's probably a lot harder with developers because they get reached out to by recruiters all the time, but it did work the last time we tried it reasonably well. There you go. But, um, so yeah, we're going to take a crack at it. Just like very quick. Can, you know, I, I again, I've never hired this type of person before. See you're, what happens. You're doing more networking in general than I've mm-hmm. ever seen you do. So I know. <laughs> I, like, I, this will either be like way too much networking for you and you'll be like, I'd tap it out. This is not for me. Like this just doesn't, this doesn't work with my DNA. Or you're going to be like, I'm a networker now. This is my, this is my new job. Yeah. I hope it's not the latter, but we'll see. <laughs> um, in other news, uh, I just wanted to give some updates on Less Annoying Business, the content website I launched. I don't know if these are interesting to anybody, but before yeah. you go into that, I just realized on the baby update, I I want to say just on, on this podcast, thank you for to you and Shelly for those awesome gifts. <laughs> yeah. Those were like I, I put I tweeted about it. I'm not sure if if you're listening, you didn't see it, but Tyler sent me one of the more thoughtful baby gifts. He had basically onesies, uh, two different sizes. Uh, printed one with start to last 
logo, the, the Startup to Launch logo on the front and one with Lega Pelt's uh, logo on the front with a with a nice little like kind of gut milk expression that said, ask my dad about uh, premium tax credits, which <laughs> made me laugh and it was so unexpected. So it just reminded me like when people, you don't have to spend a lot of money or do something like extravagant to make someone to do something really thoughtful. And that was like super thoughtful. So um, it made me go, man, I need to, I can do this to other people too. It made me want to pay it forward. So anyway, I really appreciated it. Cool. I'm glad to hear that. That that was, uh, I, I did the designs, but Shelly was the one who was like, what did you send him? And I was like, what? And she was like, you have to get him a gift. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> so uh, she gets most of the credit there. A, a thoughtful uh, partner uh, helps a ton. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, cool. So less annoying business. I just wanted to give a few updates here. Uh, first, we had our first like success. I want to be clear, this is a very small, like one data point. It's probably not going to happen like this again. But someone who was on our um, less annoying CRM mailing list for a long time, they signed up for a free trial, didn't use us, but was they were on the list. They signed up for my how to build a website course that we kind of cross-promoted on less annoying business. And then at the end of it, the last email in that course is like, by the way, go try less annoying CRM. And they then went and created an account with less annoying CRM again. Wow. Do you know what, what, where, anything about this user? Like, do, do you know what their current CRM is or whether they're a good, like, I qualified use? Like, prospect? I haven't talked to them. No, okay. I don't know. Uh, right. The, the specific, it'd be interesting to know the specifics. I'm kind of assuming they, they probably won't even pay us at the end, but it's just like, whoa, it did this something. This isn't your point. Like, yeah. like your point <laughs> is like, wow, it, like the full loop has, ha- well, has he, I guess the full loop happens when the first user pays, but like, yeah. this is like the se- second to last step. Right, right. And again, like it might not, I was expecting this wouldn't happen for a year. So I'm not like getting my hopes up that the, the engine's running and now it's going to work. But it's just like you always wonder, you, you know, if, if you think of all of these steps as being multiplicative, like it's some number times some number times, if there's a zero anywhere in there, the whole thing doesn't work. There's no zero. I'm pretty confident. They may be very low multiples, but it's not zero. Yeah. It's some number of free trials, you get a paid user. Yeah. Well, I know that part. The, yeah, the, the free trial to paid user, I'm not worried about because that's what we've got proven. But the like one newsletter to the other to signing up mm. for a free trial loop works. So anyway, Yay. it's minor. <laughs> uh, I wanted to give some numbers. Do you have any sense of like standard like open rates or clicking on links or anything like that for these courses? I, I mean, no. Okay. For email I don't courses, e- no. I have yeah. no idea. I don't either. So I figured I'd just share them because maybe this is helpful. I think this is, I should say, these are probably like um, unrepresentative and they're probably too high because a lot of the people on this list were already less annoying serum customers. And so they're like very trusting of us already versus some stranger from the internet. What we're seeing is, um, so the first email is like, hey, tell me why you signed up. Uh, I have gotten responses from maybe like 10 out of 100 people or something like that. So about 10% responded to that. About 70% of people opened the welcome email. That's the highest. And by the welcome email, I mean like the second one, not the like click here to confirm, but the next one. Um, And then it kind of dropped to like 50% is about the lowest. So it's a 16-day course. You can tell from the subject, some get more opens than others, but 50% is about the lowest it went. Um, And is that within like the first week uh, Ish. 50% at the end. So it definitely like trends down, like from the 70s to the 50s. Um, well, I mean, like, uh, wh- at what point do you, do people, I would, I would think that with an email course, some people may not open the email right away. They might like flag it for later. Mm, that could and, be. And so do you see this number going up weeks after? 
the email being sent or is it something that kind of within the first 24 to 48 hours it hits its high it, it sort of gets opened or it doesn't i haven't looked at that a ton but um it's probably marginal anyway yeah i think mostly people open it right away the, the thing is like so that's a pretty high open rate the bad news is i kind of suspect almost no one's doing the course um mm. i i have no one has yet reached out to me and been like here's the website i made um which i think they would so i think people are opening it some people are clicking on links uh but mostly i think the engagement's pretty low i'm not sure is that good or bad or to be expected i don't know it's i mean let's see this hold set volume yeah yeah uh, and i said some people are clicking on links the emails get between 12 and 20 percent click rate um, on the on the email. So if this were like a normal email campaign, these numbers would be outstanding. For a course where they like came and signed up for this specific thing, I would you'd expect it to be a little bit higher, but n- not higher than my numbers, but higher than a normal email campaign. Uh, th- those numbers look good to me. I, you yeah. feel, I feel like you should feel good about those numbers. Yeah, I do. Again, I think there's all kinds of reasons why they might be lower in the future. And d- d- did it help me if they signed up, opened most of the emails, but didn't build a website? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how to evaluate that. Like if people don't actually follow through. Yeah. I didn't build a website and I enjoyed it. Okay. Fair enough. You thought you got value out of it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's probably... I I guess I shouldn't expect anyone to, but you you hope that that's what comes of it. Um, The only other update I wanted to give here is we've kind of talked in the past. I have two types of content. I have business philosophy, like why should you bootstrap instead of raising money or whatever. And then I have very tactical tech tips, like how do you buy a domain name from Hover and point it at Squarespace? Uh, As we suspected, from the SEO standpoint, I'm just looking at the Google Search Console, uh, the technical tips are much, they're they're getting more search uh, impressions because people actually search for that stuff. Um, And I'm particularly finding if you use the name of some other tool that has like n- not a ton of demand, because that's too competitive, but a little bit. So like Hover is this website for buying domain names. There are enough people searching for Hover, but there's almost nothing written about it. I found that's a pretty good way to get some search. I mean, still very early on, but like those are get pretty reliably getting search impressions for me. I love it. Cool. That's really um, helpful. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at your example search terms here. Yeah, like downgrade. They're active keywords. Like someone wants to take an action. They can't find the answer, presumably on the help site, or maybe they just want to find the quickest pathway there. And there's an outcome that they want from reading an article uh, or a video, watching a video online, and you're answering that. And if you do it well, you're going to rank pretty quick if it's not competitive. Yeah. So the search terms I've got written here are downgrade Google Workspace, buy a domain from Hover, and Chrome multiple accounts, just as three examples. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 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 two that really stand out are downgrade by, like by mm-hmm. down. Those are act verbs. Like I want to take action. Like that's, um, I haven't thought about that from a leg up health standpoint, which is making me go, oh, um, I'm usually like writing how articles, how to articles, and people don't search that way. They they probably yeah, they've got like a thirty second like mm-hmm. give me the answer to my th- mm-hmm. the thing I'm I'm looking for. Yeah, uh, cool. I'd love to keep hearing about the SEO stuff because I'm about to turn that part of my brain on. Okay. We're also, I don't have an update for today, but um, Eunice, the marketing person at Lessening CRM is 
diving into SEO there, and which will be much more sophisticated. Like lessknowingbusiness.com is just me writing blog posts and like build it and they will come maybe. Uh, she's like optimizing, you know, pages we've had for a decade that already get a lot of traffic. And so I might have more SEO updates about that later. Awesome. What else? Um, well, how about, I've been talking for a while. How about you? <laughs> I mean, do you, what do you want to hear about? Like, you want to hear about how the the the, the baby takes a bottle? I mean, that's, that's what I've been working on. <laughs> Tell me about this bank account thing you've got written here. Okay, so have you heard of um, Divi or like I think Brex is another one where these basically these you you basically set up this system and you have a different virtual credit card basically or debit card for um, different expenditures. So mm-hmm. you might have a, a, you know, each vendor that you buy services from in your business would have its own card, which has a lot of benefits from a, you know, being able to turn that vendor off without having to reset your cards and calling all your vendors. But also from an accounting standpoint, you can automate sort of the logging of these and classifications of these recurring expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, I realized, like, I want to know if that exists for the revenue. Like, are there ways to set up like virtual revenue collection accounts that basically do the same thing? Because I'm realizing that, especially with adding the dental insurance companies, I have mm. so many, like I'm multiplying sources of revenue that um, I want to be able to track over time. Um, and right now I'm having them come into a, a Chase bank account and manually transferring them into a, another bank account to sort of trigger a uh, accounting entry. And it's not scalable and uh, really like honestly error potential like potential for a lot of errors. So, I mean, normally just the bookkeeper would go in and be like, this is revenue from this source and they'd label it as such. I mean, that's sort of scalable. No. If you want to pay a bookkeeper. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you want a bunch of different, how many different, like incoming uh, like accounts do you need? Already right now, I've got 10 so far. Mm-hmm. Ten, yeah, 10 different um, sources. and Because I think like it's not that hard to get 10 checking accounts for like I've got five or six or something with Bank of America and I don't use half of them. But one option is just if, if 10 is the number or 20 is the number, just get 20 different accounts. Why doesn't this? I mean, it seems like something that you would want just like you have it for expenses, why wouldn't you want it for revenue? It's like the same thing. Yeah, I mean, you still like most companies are doing bookkeeping, though. Yeah, you, you still do a bookkeeping. You just it happens automatically. Like the bookkeeping, yeah. happen, like th- th- by having multiple bank accounts, you can set rules tied to the bank account and have it auto classify versus having a human come in and classify those things. Yeah. I hear you. I guess I, I have a, a potential it's, it's, solution, but yeah, I'll tell a, you why I don't care about it. Well, but like, I, why do you care about the expense side and not the? Why do people care? Divi is a big deal to other people, right? Like, it's supposedly a super successful venture backed company here in Utah. I mean, yeah. I think it's because expenses. There's a lot more like accountability and making sure your employees aren't abusing stuff and stuff. Whereas I don't think that exists with like revenue coming in. Like, oh, we we got this revenue. Where'd that come from? That's so funny. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's yeah. You don't you care? People don't want to lose. You care much about what more about what you're losing. Yeah, well, no one's trying to scam you with incoming revenue. I, that's just a theory. There's I don't also really there's know. also like an opportunity on the expense side to get exchange fees, like swipe card processing fees, which hmm. is probably why there's a revenue opportunity. There's probably not really a revenue opportunity on the revenue side. 
Yeah, that makes sense too. I use it. So I have a Stripe credit card. That's what we use. And we do the virtual card thing you're talking about. But it's, yeah, it's a little bit to track, to, to, to do the bookkeeping. But the thing is like, it just goes into, we use uh, Bench for bookkeeping. They just do it. It's not, it, it costs us nothing. It's it's a fixed fee every month. So we Which, actually- What do you pay for a Bench? Uh, I think we pay 365 a month or it depends oh, on your- it? Yeah, it's pretty cheap. Okay, well, maybe that's um, what I just- do it you, still takes some work on our end. Like they're like, I didn't know how to categorize these ten transactions. Like, so we have to go in and do it. But mm-hmm. it's pretty easy. That's that's helpful. Yeah, maybe maybe the solution is just a practice service. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, you'd have to have like a lot of different sort. And I, my impression, I think Bench is exactly a productized service. My impression is like they have tools on their end that would recognize, oh, if the revenue looks, if the deposit to your checking account looks like this, always tag it as this other thing. So even though we use Stripe virtual cards, Bench does not access that information at all, I don't think. I think they have their own separate system for everything. We use it so, like you said, if a car- if our card number gets invalidated, we don't have to go replace it in every single service. Um, it lets us put spending limits on certain, like, I don't want more than X dollars per month spent on Twilio. If it goes above that, let me know so I can go do something about it. Having said all that, Stripe Treasury might be able to do what you're talking about here. Go on. I looked at it and I felt like it was more for issuing bank accounts to clients than using it for your own purposes. <laughs> I think it kind of is. Yeah. So it'd be more like if someone wanted to build a SaaS product to solve your problem. Um, but I think it's still in beta is my understanding. So I don't know. I think you just reach out to them and you're like, here's what I want to do with it. And maybe they give you access. Hmm. The, the downside is I think it's expensive. Yeah. But I just think it costs money to have, I don't know what the cost is, but like having an account, a, a bank account costs money. I guess so. It's a bummer. Know. Yeah. I'll it's a cool it idea out. though. It's, a, it's one of those things where it's like, this has to exist. And now I, after talking to you, I realize why it probably doesn't exist, which is there's probably no money in it. Yeah. People, or people aren't yeah, willing to pay have, for it. You'd have to pay for it. I mean, would yeah. you pay for it? No. Having said all this, I do want to give a comment, something that I didn't, you probably already know this because you ran like sophisticated banking stuff at, at PeopleKeeper, I assume. Um, I did not appreciate how important it is to have multiple checking accounts for a business, which once you hear it is obvious, but basically every time you write a check to someone, they have your checking account information and they can take as much money out as they want with basically no accountability. I mean, if they steal your money, like, the government will come after them and try and arrest them, but your money's gone. Yeah, and you're only insured up to like 100k, right? Well, even that, I don't, I don't think uh, FDIC insurance is for someone stealing your own. My my impression is you're not insured at all for this. Oh, really? I mean, you could probably buy insurance, but the number, like the number I always had in my head is if you're gonna write check from a, if you're gonna write checks, you want to like keep a sweet, you want to sweep money into this account, yeah, on a regular basis and top it off as you need to, so that that num- your liability is limited, and yeah. ideally to the FDI insurable amount, FDIC insurable amount. Yes, that, that's my understanding as well, except, and I could be wrong about this, I don't think FDIC insures this type of theft. Man, well, that's stupid. Um, I talked about it with like my rep at Bank of America, and they were like, oh yeah, if, if people take money out of here, you know, on credit cards, if someone steals your credit card and buys something, that's covered. It's not if they just take money out of your checking account. Um so anyway, yes, this idea of like have one account with all your money in it and then another one that anytime you need to write a check, you just transfer just enough money to pay the check and that way your liability is limited. So This is why checks are evil. 
Yeah, it's crazy that this is how the system works, but it is, I guess. So we have, yeah, we have a bunch of checking accounts and savings accounts now. <laughs> do you, does Binge do that for you or do you have a CPA accountant who does that stuff? Uh, I, we, we just do it through Bank of America. Like, it's pretty I easy. Did, I, it, well, I hate dealing with Bank of America. I would not use them if given uh, another choice, but it, once you have the account set up, yeah, you can just transfer money back and forth. I do this with my personal account too. I use Capital One uh, 360. I have like five savings accounts through them. So like I'm saving up for a trip and I just put money into that account. Um, it's basically the same idea, but for business. Got okay. <laughs> have you been, uh, fo- I know you've got other stuff on your mind right now. Have you followed like GameStop or BitClout or NFTs or any of this stuff? Yes. What are your thoughts on the state of the world? (laughs) Well, I feel like, first of all, I have, I don't, I am not a, the last time I collected anything, it was, you know, I was like 10 years old and I was buying Walmart, like packages of basketball cards. And, you know, once I got to like 15, I I put them in a box and I stopped looking at them. And so Mm -hmm. that was the last time I paid attention to like collecting anything. So I am, I don't really know how to value things that don't like make normal economic like use like utility sense um so this is very foreign to me so i really can't i thought it feels ridiculous um (laughs) it feels i've seen one good argument which is there's some really cool virtual art out there just like like there are people out there there are people in the real world that are doing you know tangible art or tangible collector items Basically, with NFTs, you can um, ha- give the same sort of origina- original original credit to a virtual artist or a virtual collector item than you do a in person, you know, a real world item. And I guess I go, sure, fine. If people want to pay for that, then I guess it will work. And I go, but I go, am I that person? No. Otherwise. <laughs> Like, cause that's where it gets foreign to me, but maybe like, you know, my dad, like he's a big wine guy and he has wine that he'll probably never drink, but he likes to talk up, you know, he likes to collect wine. So here's my, I don't know. Go I think we're, we're more or less on the same page. I agree with everything you just said, but here's why I think this is different from the basketball cards or the wine is your dad buying the wine because he's like, I'll never drink this, but I'm going to sell it to someone else for twice as much later on. Some people do that, but no, not him. Yeah. And like when you were 10 years old, you actually wanted basketball cards. You weren't doing it speculatively. You were like, I want this thing because it's cool. I kind of think no one's doing that here. Like the person spending $6 million on an NFT, I think they're only doing it to resell it to someone else. I could be wrong, but that's the impression I get. So in reality, like everyone's betting on someone else have like actually valuing something. Yeah, it's the greater fool theory, right? <laughs> well, or because I mean, NFTs are one example of this, but I also mentioned like GameStop. Obviously, there's not a collector element to GameStop. And there's this whole screw Wall Street thing. And I think that's funny and I kind of like rooting for it. But uh, a lot of people who got involved were just like, okay, I know this company's not worth this. I don't give a shit about this company at all. But if I buy in now, I might be able to sell for twice as much later. It's yeah, pure it's speculation. Speculation, yep. And then there's this BitClout thing, which seems even wilder to me. Can you explain BitClout? So this has been making the rounds on Twitter lately. And so you can buy 
What is it exactly that you can buy? I, I've seen two different explanations of it. What the the simple one is you're basically buying stock and people. So you're saying like, like Rick, you could be on BitCloud and you have a certain stock price and people can buy, you know, it's got this cryptocurrency connection, but forget all that. Like people could buy shares of Rick and then if in the future people are willing to pay more, then you can sell yours and whatever. Okay. The the other angle is some people think it's like going to become a Twitter type thing where it's like, I'm going to, you know, you have to own my shares in order to get some of my content or like there's actually a thing delivered from it. I, I'm i certainly not an expert, so I don't know which of these is more accurate. I don't get it, man. Like, OK, so why, why <laughs> would you buy someone's why would you buy someone's BitCloud? So that right, right well, now, the, right now. Well, right now, there's no reason at all, except the speculative. I, I think most of it's driven by someone I, else I think might value of, the BitCloud. So therefore, if you buy it now and a value goes up, you can sell it to someone else, which again, yeah. is speculation. And I think a lot of people, it's easy to look at Bitcoin. We all heard about Bitcoin when it was one penny per coin or whatever. And it's not like you would have doubled or tripled your investment. Like you would have, if you'd put $100 in, you'd be whatever, like a millionaire right now. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are like, well, I'd better put some money into all these things in case it's the next Bitcoin. That's my impression as to why people are putting money in. I'm a, I'm a hater though. <laughs> yeah, I guess I just, I really don't get it. Like I, I don't need, I can't even hate it because I still don't get it. The reason I brought, I, I don't get it either. The reason I brought it up is it feels a lot like how people describe the dot-com bubble. You and I were both kids, like, or like high school age then, yeah. but it just, I, I've thought there was like a bit of a bubble for years, but this, it feels like there is an order of magnitude, more FOMO speculation going on right now than there's ever been in my life. Is there real money going in here? Like significant money or is it sort of... Is it just like people throwing their like their their pocket change in to see it just sort of as like a slot machine kind of thing? No, I think there's real money. I think an NFT sold for like seventy million dollars or something, and I think GameStop's got billions of dollars so, so going there, into it. There are some NFTs by virtual artists where it's like, I it, there is the element of speculation. Bitcloud seems like comp- pure speculation. Like if there's a you know a range, like Bit yeah. Cl- Bitcloud is seeming ridiculous speculation, and then you've got like a really cool virtual piece of art that is tied to the original artist that seems very similar to like buying a Picasso, you know, I, I don't, if, I guess, but I can at least make that like analogy. I, I don't know what to like compare BitCloud to in my mind that is like the real world. You don't buy, yeah. you don't buy don't like st- stock in people. You don't buy people. Not, not yet anyway. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> there, there have been models for this. Like you're, you're a big sports fan. Like athletes have done this in the past where they've said like, buy it's like an earning shares share agreement or something where it's like i'll give you i'll give my shareholders a certain percentage of my future contracts which i think actually makes a lot of who did that that's brilliant um some bass i forget the name some basketball player did this and then i think the nba immediately made it like against the rules from then on uh but some i think in some sports it's still allowed and in some it's not oh there's so many cool like i would totally crowdfund an athlete yeah well and it makes perfect sense because you know they're 19 years old about to go pro and they're like, I'm probably going to make $100 million. Like, if they're really, really good. They're like, I'm probably going to make $100 million, but maybe I break my knee in the next game and I make nothing. It makes a lot of sense to, like, you know, hedge your your bets a little bit and, and bring on investors there. So I actually like that. The thing with BitClout is there's, you don't get dividends for owning someone's BitClout. All you get is, like, hoping that the next fool yeah. know, will pay more than you for that BitClout. 
Yeah. You also can't take money out of BitClub right now, which is the real joke of it. Who <laughs> you can only Bit put Cloud? money in. It's and it's anonymous. Like nobody knows. It's, what a I bet this is like <laughs> someone's laughing like whoever made it is probably laughing their butt off right now. I wonder how much money's flowed through this. Is there any idea? Do you have any idea about that? So they they have like dollar amounts on people, but apparently they're all made up. So like they say, oh, you know, six hundred thousand there's six hundred thousand dollars worth of coins on this person. And they do that to incentivize the person joining. Like the person hasn't even joined BitCloud and they're like, if you join, you'll get $600,000, but you can't take money out. So it's fake money. And I've seen pretty credible speculation that that, it's, that doesn't mean people bought $600,000 worth of that person's coin. They're just inventing money because they don't have to pay it out. The whole thing seems like a scam to me. Yeah. But, but the thing is, people are buying in. I listen to podcasts and stuff from people who are like, oh yeah, I went in and I put in $10,000. and like. I don't know. I worry about uh, when, you know, there's a lot of money right now from the stimulus, from, you know, all kinds of stuff. And there's a lot of FOMO. I just, it seems like something bad. Is I feel, on the I feel, do you feel the FOMO personally, like with Bitcoin as an example? Uh, I have my, like, my dumb human brain feels it. And then I am, I, I think I'm pretty under control to tell myself, you don't need it. That's my coping mechanism. Is like you could let's say you could be a billionaire. Doesn't matter. You don't need it. Uh, don't don't play any of these games. The only reason to play these games is if you're desperate and your only hope of being financially secure is to play these games. You're financially secure anyway. Or if you have so much money and you're just playing games. Sure, that's fine. Yeah, it's too, like, I guess. but it's, it's two extremes, right? It's like you're if you're in this, you know, just do the right thing, live rationally. Things will take care of themselves, and you're going to be okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like that. I, I've I've had the same sort of moments of like. Wow. Like you have this like, wow, I really missed out. You're feeling the FOMO, but then you can just go, okay, but I make good decisions over the last 10 years. And I'm here because I'm here where I am right now because of the decisions I made. If I continue to make these decisions, everything's going to be okay. Yes. But the thing is, these things could affect us. Like the dot-com bubble was not, did not only impact people who bought those shares, you know? True that. Um, so anyway, I, I don't have anything else to say about this, but I'm just, I'm worried. <laughs> what, I mean, what, how will we know when do you, okay let's just say can we play the game of this thing what does it look like if these things implode like i mean what, what do you even can you even follow the dominoes i don't even i can't even imagine what like the what the economic impact would be i mean i'm i'm going to say some horribly uninformed stuff here but like my understanding is if you look back at recessions some of them are like very like fundamentally something's broken. And I think like 2008 was that, or really like what happened last year, obviously like there was a pandemic and people stopped buying stuff. And so, um, versus I think like in 2001 or whenever the dot-com bubble popped, my impression, and again, I was in high school at the time, is that like it was devastating for the stock market, like parts of the stock market. And it like had no real impact on the economy or anything else. It feels like maybe that's what would happen here. Like, but the thing is, it has a chain reaction where, like, okay, now a lot of investor money's gone. And I don't know, could it affect interest rates? I don't know what I'm talking about, but like, yeah. I, I do think it has second and third order effects. It feels big enough to where it would have second or third order effects that would affect you and me. And yeah. therefore, you worry. Right. Cause we're close. It, it would affect anyone in tech, I think. Yeah. Especially if you're in certain cities where. The stuff's big. Like Austin, man, I just assume that Austin is like 50% invested in Bitcoin. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, okay, uh, enough of that. Um, 
You got anything else on on your list? I mean, the, I, I put this put this on here mostly because putting it on here made me feel better because I got it. I wrote it down, but I will say that, and I'm overreacting at this point. I know I am, and I know I just need to let time go. But I feel a lot less time in the day right now, mm-hmm. and it makes me like what if I tried to solve that problem right now? The solution would be cut things, stop doing things, and. Uh, you know, start f- narrowing my focus a little bit. So I probably don't have a, you know, I just want to say that I'm feeling that. And I want to say that since I wrote this, put this on the agenda, I, I have had some thoughts and I'm going to like not act on this for a few weeks, maybe even a month uh, or two until I adjust, uh, you know, what the, what it's going to be. But I definitely feel like I have substantially less time and I'm not going to be able to do the things, some of the things that I want to do. Yeah. So you, I get that you're not going to act on it because you want to let it breathe a little bit, but like, what are your thoughts? What do you think you're going to need to do? Well, there's, you know, it's everything from, you know, going to the gym for a couple hours mm. to, you know, to, uh, you know, from in business is it, do I cut leg up benefits? You know, do I, you know, do it, you know, do I stop doing the newsletter? Do I take the newsletter from one week to, you know, my personal newsletter from one week to, to to one month, once a month or not at all, or do I pause it until the kid's a certain age? I, you know, it, those are the, those are the ideas that run through your head. Do I, do I really truly, you know, focus on one thing at a time? Um, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm hoping that I just can adjust my schedule and keep doing what I'm doing. Um, but I'm starting to, I'm, I'm preparing myself to not be able to do that anymore mentally. Yeah. You want some unsolicited thoughts from me? Sure. Yeah, I've, I'm, ho- I'm open to them. Um, I have observed, like when you look at successful entrepreneur types of people, there's there's probably more than two personas, but I'm going to simplify the world and say there's two personas. There's like the 23-year-old who works 90 hours a week and doesn't know what the fuck they're doing, but they just make it work. And there's the 40-year-old who you know, works a normal day, but basically leverages what they've built in those extra 20 years, which is one, like wisdom and experience and knowing what to work on and whatnot too. But the other is like delegating and not doing it all themselves. And so like, if I were in your shoes, one thing I'd be thinking about is you can do everything you want to do once you have help. And you really need to be more conscious about how to get to that point of when can you hire someone. Yeah. Which is growth. Yeah. I mean, does uh, th- that could be wrong. I'm I'm kind of making this up on the spot. Does that resonate with you at all? Um Right now, my assuming I don't have to change anything and I can do what I want to do, I'm pretty happy with the the way things timing about how everything should work out based on what I believe to be true about the future. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can't do some of those things, then yeah, like I'm going to have to right now I'm living an ideal life. If, if that makes sense. And I don't feel pressure to, to, to adjust it. Um, the baby is definitely a adjustment is, is forcing me to adjust. And so I guess the question becomes what gives and, yeah. and I don't know what, I don't, first of all, I don't know if, if it needs to give yet. And if it doesn't need to give this, I need to have this conversation, but 
this question of like, you know, what's more important? Is it, do I, do I, do I do a, do I do a run, you know, for, for 20 minutes harder, you know, <laughs> rather than go play basketball for an hour and, you know, and, and still, you know, write an article a week for the newsletter or, is, you know, it becomes a question of like, what yeah. do I want to keep doing and what do I not want to keep doing? But yeah, like there is, there's part of me who says like, yeah, it might be easier if, and, and I might make more progress if I just said, let's go get leg up help to, you know, a thousand users and then worry about other stuff. But at the same time, it's like, it's not really what I want to go do. Yeah. If you don't, is it that you don't want to do it or it's not the thing you want to do most? It's not, it's not like if I did that every day for, so thousand, let's say I went for a thousand users as quickly as possible. I would have weeks where I'm working on things. I'm not getting to work on some of the things I really want to work on. It would be a, it would be delaying some things that are really important to me. If I look at like an ideal day um, or an ideal week or an ideal month, I'd be delaying a lot of those ideal weeks and months. And I, I, you know, part of the reason I've structured the way I'm working on my art, like adventures, the way I have is so that I don't have to have regret like about how I'm spending my time. Like I, I feel good about my weeks right now. That's true. But at the same time, like, so we have uh, some employees who choose to work four days a week instead of five. Mm-hmm. And we, we pay them 80% as much, but otherwise it's the same deal. But one of the things we kind of say is you don't get as... So this is a bad deal for us in a sense, because like we're still paying full benefits, all that stuff. They're still spending an hour in the weekly meeting. They're not spending 40, 80% of an hour, right? Yeah, yeah. So same fixed costs, but they're working less time. And one of the things we say to them is like, we're not going to put as much time on your calendar for like fun stuff. You're getting your fulfillment from that day off not from your time at work. To some extent, I wonder, have you implicitly or explicitly made that same decision that some of your fulfillment's coming from your family now more so than before? And maybe like work isn't going to be, you shouldn't hate it, you shouldn't resent it, but it's not going to be as much a source of fulfillment for at least a while. Yeah, and I put my, yeah, that's interesting. I have to think about that. I I don't know. I I mean, I already do spend... I, I don't know. Like, I think a lot of this is I'm, you know, not, there's no schedule right now and I'm a scheduled <laughs> person and it's like, mm. you know, Oh wow. If this, this is unsustainable, what I'm doing right now is unsustainable, but also th- what I'm doing right now is temporary. So there's this like, we'll see yeah. what happens kind of thing. I definitely think it makes sense to wait a month or however long to like do anything, but it's, it sounds like leg up benefits and your uh, personal newsletter are things that you could cut pretty easily if you needed to focus. Yeah. If, let's say if I needed to focus, that's an interesting question. What would I do if I had to focus? Mm-hmm. Leg up health has, you go to traction, right? Like, yeah, I, where do I, I have traction? Sure. And I have to, you know, it's, it's leg up health and um, naturally leg up health would lead to some version of leg up benefits probably happening, but it's probably a trimmed down version. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's keep revisiting that. I'm, I'm interested to hear where you land. Um, I've got a no-code question for you. Go for it. So uh, first of all, it's not that important that we solve this. This is more just like I'm curious how you would solve it or if it, like what can be done here. Um, but we might actually do it if the solution's easy enough. So here's the situation. We have a... Uh, if, if people take what we call personal days, which is like a paid paid time off, basically, they put it on the calendar and then we have someone who like goes through the calendar every month or however often and like records it in a spreadsheet so that we can just keep track of how much time off people are taking. We want to be able to show that information to employees uh, so they know how much time they've taken off. 
But we don't want everybody to see everyone else's time off. Like we don't you want, want each employee to be able to log in to see how much time to they see their out? their own stuff. Yeah. Okay. And I know there's like we could do this in Gusto or something, but uh, all the HR tools for this require the employee to put it in themselves, which. I don't want them to have to do anything other than update the calendar and then we'll put it in a spreadsheet or whatever. So basically what I'm interested in, something like an Airtable or a Google Sheet or whatever that has all this data, but where someone, like we give a view to somebody and all they can see is this, the, the data related to them. How, wh- how would I go about solving that problem? Yes, with no code. Um, the tool that comes to mind is Glide. Uh, so I'd probably set up a Google spreadsheet and then give people, I take whatever data you want, put it in a Google spreadsheet and then build a glide app around it. Why, why glide? What, what does it's it do super, that other things don't? It's built around Google spreadsheets and it's super simple to get log. Like it's mm. very easy to give people access to certain amounts of data through an app. Okay. I gotcha. So you'd build an act. Okay. Cause so there'd be an actual app and I'm looking at their website right now. It's like a mobile app primarily. They have a des- they do a good, pretty good job of having it accessible via about, any, okay yeah um but it, but limited limited functionality I so I'd probably that's probably how we would do it uh, the the problem then, like you need if you only want to show it to them you you'd have to like you have to make it so that only they have to be authenticated right to see it yeah um right. and so that that means you're immediately going to more some more sophisticated app like no code tools because of the user authentication piece Glide has the simplest user authentication like. Okay. Built so in, each each employee at Lessening Serum would be like a quote unquote user of this app. They'd all have their own logins. We'd enter the data for it. Got you. So there's no way, as far as you know, in like Airtable to say, I want to make a view that only shows this user's stuff and like send them a link to it. But you could absolutely do it that way. Um, so you could say uh, view for Tyler and then only have Tyler see that view. Yeah, I believe you can do that. Oh, you could. Okay. Yeah. But that's like, I, I look at that and go, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I again, mean, right now what we're doing is just emailing people once a quarter. Like, here's here's Yeah, that's probably, like, that's a, that's probably, I mean, assuming someone's already put, messing with the data, I mean, how many people do you have? 20 people? 19 people? Yeah, 19. Yeah, I mean, 19 views, managing the access to that. It's probably not a big bet. That's probably a lot easier than a Glide app, honestly. So does each person in Airtable need their own user account, though? Because that's one thing is I don't want to pay like 12 bucks a month for this per user. I'll pay 12 bucks a month for one user. I'm not paying for 19. So you'd have one base. I think the pricing is based on a base. Uh, What what is their pricing? We're going to check it out. This is fascinating podcast listening, yes. by the way. Uh, per seat. No, yeah, it's per yeah. seat. Yeah. yeah so. so with what you were suggesting, because there are things in Airtable where you can share it publicly, I think, mm-hmm. but you probably don't get the permissions that way, which makes sense. I get why why it is that way. Okay. I'd look at Glide. Glide. Um, I'd Interesting. Look at, I'd look at Airtable. You might be able to do something with Google Sheets because you already have... One thing about... What's cool about Google Sheets is if you can set up views based on Google Apps, everybody's already got a Google, Google App authentication built into Google yeah. Sheets. So maybe yeah, Sheets, that's Google true. Sheets is the way to go. Hmm. Okay, I'll check it out some more. I do want to, I, I'm increasingly bullish on the idea that like every company needs like a no-code, just n- not what you're doing where you're using no-code to build your product for your customers. Great if you can do it. But I think every business is going to need this for internal stuff. Totally. Um, I forget what they're called on like the sales team, but like not sales enablement, but there's this like power user who's usually the Salesforce person. Yeah, like the admin. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they're called, but they're on this. They're usually on the sales team, but they're they have, there's there is a role developing for this. Um, mm-hmm. 
it'd be interesting to have like a general purpose one at a small business like yours who just basically is like goes around and tries to supercharge each individual role. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a, a similar, I forget who it was, maybe someone on Twitter that was like, someone I would hire as one of my first marketing hires, I guess called mar- marketing operations. And they were like, this is just the person that makes sure like analytics are set up correctly. And like you're doing user attribution and sales stuff like ops. That. That's what I was yeah. going to say. That's exactly the word. Uh, marketing ops. Yep. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, Anything else? I've got other stuff, but I feel like uh, it can probably wait for next week. So maybe we can call it. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll get some work done between now and next week and have something to talk about as well. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Um, hey everyone, thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have a favor to ask. Please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuplast.com. See you next week. See ya.